I actually took a trip to New Zealand for three weeks. I literally went to the most remote part of New Zealand I could find. <laughs> and I had the ugliest cry in a rainforest <laughs> that you could possibly imagine. There was some uh -huh. very loud sobbing, a lot of like just going, just a release and just going, it's okay. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay. I don't have a plan. It's okay. I, I'm a, you know, I have strength, I have skills, I will be fine. This podcast is brought to you by Dentons, the world's largest law firm with a global team that builds agile, tailored solutions to meet the local, national, and global needs of private and public clients of any size in 183 locations serving 75 countries. Hi everyone, my name is Heather Barnhouse, partner and lawyer in our Edmonton office. Welcome to my podcast where I explore the topic of women in entrepreneurship and leadership and the ecosystem supporting the growth of this segment. Today I'm joined by Susie Sykes, co-founder of Timber Benefits. Welcome Susie. Hi Heather, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be with you. To start us off, can you give our listeners a little bit of background about yourself and what you do? Sure. So I am co-founder and owner of a company called Timber Benefits. So we um, provide businesses and nonprofits in Western Canada with flexible and modern employee health benefits. Very cool. And can you give us a little bit of background about you, kind of your, you know, your training, your background? I think you were uh, entrepreneurial venture before Timber. Sure. So I'm kind of proud to say that I'm completely from the outside of the health and insurance industry. That's a good starting place. <laughs> I'm like, so why not start an employee benefits company? <laughs> so, um, so my background is definitely more of an entrepreneur. Growing up, I, um, and if it's okay, Heather, I'm going to start right from the beginning. <laughs> of course, of course. I, I like the whole story. Yeah, well, and it's quite a journey, and I and it's funny how you realize sort of your experiences as a kid and growing up really informs sort of how you um, act as an adult or sort of the journey that you take as an adult. For sure. Growing up, I um, I really didn't have a lot of security in my life. So my house um, unfortunately had a lot of mental illness, and you know my mom greatly struggled with her health. And it just created a lot of insecurity uh, in my childhood. So at times it was um, quite toxic and abusive. And there were things like, um, you know, we moved a lot, you know, we struggled a lot uh, financially. Um, we're also very isolated when I was growing up as a kid. So it just kind of created this real need for me to, to develop security and to kind of take control of my, of my path and my future. So as if you can imagine, I was literally like nine or 10 years old and trying to figure out like, what am I going to do to create that, that sense of security with my life? And I was so worried about like where I was going to work and what kind of job I was going to get and how would I get myself to university? But I was just dead set on kind of creating a, a future for myself. I really literally formulated a plan as a kid. So I was going to be a news anchor. I was going to be Carrie Doll or Lisa LaFlam from CTV because I love watching the news and I would just like stare at the TV and you know as they talk I would literally like mimic what they were saying and I would practice with my hairbrush and I was going to be a journalist. I love the idea of communications. I just loved 
um, the excitement around it and the idea of telling stories and just being in the know. And so um, at such a young age, I realized like, hey, this is, this is my journey, this is my path. So um, I researched like the best school to get into was at Ryerson in Toronto. I yep. decided to do the, the radio and TV arts program as an undergrad. And I, I don't know any other kids in junior high that are like planning to that level of detail what that was going to look like. But because of my background, I just knew that um, I couldn't really rely on other people to do it for me. So, so I started really, really young. Wow, that's that's interesting how, you know, they talk about entrepreneurs often have, a, have an idea or um, they, they form a business based on a need that they have. So they're looking for a particular product or service and they don't find one that, you know, is, is, is as satisfying or as great as they need. And so they invent it. Um, and they, and then, and then their business grows out of sort of their personal, you know, need or desire. And what you're saying is actually like, even when you were a little kid, your sort of desire to do something grew out of kind of your need for the, the recognition of your need for some stability and some way to be contributing and, and productive. So when you said, you know, most kids don't kind of have a plan when I was about in grade two, I was dead set on being a dentist. Don't ask me why. I have no idea. <laughs> that, that was going to be a good idea. But I was convinced until I was probably in about grade 12 that I knew this path and I was going to be a dentist. Well, and then it's funny how the path changes, right? As you get older. Of course. You, yeah. You get out there in the world and realize, yeah, what it's really about for sure. Did you end up going to Ryerson? I did. Yeah. So like... I, I remember looking up the admission requirements and they wanted like something like, you know, demonstration of like a real passion for communications and work, you know, industry experience. And I'm like, I'm in grade 10. Like, how, how am I going to, what does that mean? And so, um, but I took it to heart and I remember we had like a, a take your, not a take your kid to work day, but like a work experience day in high school. And I was like, I have to get matched with someone at the Edmonton Journal. Like, I have to have that experience, you know, with a journalist. And fortunately, I was able to get in there. And you won't believe it, but in the morning, they took me to the uh, water treatment plant. So I was learning all about sewage water and how it was treated. <laughs> and I was like, this is, this is, yeah, this is not my thing. But then, um, but then they came to me about just after lunch, they dropped two tickets in front of me and it was tickets to the Ricky Martin concert Ooh. in town that night and they wow. said these can be yours but you need to write a story from a teenager's perspective of the concert oh, and I yeah and I was like oh my gosh like yes of course I will do that you know and it's Ricky Martin <laughs> so wow what a what a gift for a work like my work from my work experience was like going to sit in an accountant's office for eight right? hours and do my homework right yeah <laughs> for me you didn't get to like shake your bonbon and like <laughs> have that whole experience <laughs> so, so that was kind of my first taste of of like being in the journalism or communications industry was getting to go to the concert and then writing that that story from my you know grade 10 perspective and then it was published and on the front page of like the entertainment section the next day. So 
so I ended up um, applying and doing, you know, jumping through all those hoops to get into the program. And then, of course, I had to figure out how I was going to pay for university and, you know, without that family support. So that was a bit challenging, but I was absolutely driven and determined. So, like, I landed, I remember downtown Toronto, I didn't know anybody. I had an aunt in town, but my family was estranged from them, from her. So I like literally had nobody not knowing anything. And I'm not sure if you've been to Ryerson, but it's in a bit of a sketchy area. In it Toronto. is. It is. <laughs> so it's an adventure. It is an adventure. And I lived kind of off the rainbow village and I absolutely loved it. I just absolutely soaked it all in. And I just felt like this is, this is when my life really started because that was my decision and I was on my way. Wow. So tell us what happened after, right? So, so when I'm going back to that perfect plan, <laughs> it was going to be Ryerson, uh, TV career, possibly national anchor. Um, of course. Then I would, re- you know, have retire into starting my own PR firm, have babies and just like live this perfect life. And that, that was the plan. And I kind of skipped over the, the anchor part. So I was coming out of Ryerson realizing that to work in journalism in Canada at that time meant really just like moving to the smallest town you could possibly find to you know get a job and there wasn't a lot of job security Mm -hmm. um and I just recognized it was really challenging and then you know now we see 10 years later that you know the news industry has really struggled in Canada so yeah so my path took a little changed and it's changed a lot how we access and how we gain access to that all of that has changed which hasn't made the small town thing any easier for sure so I came out of school and it I remember I drove to uh, Lloydminster because they had a tv station (laughs) and I had like I got like 10 minutes with the news director of the station and he says you know like Susie I appreciate that you went to Ryerson but I've got all these grads coming out of Nate and you know they're great too and I think you should go to a smaller market than Lloydminster and I remember thinking like smaller market than Lloydminster like I'm coming from Toronto (laughs) what's smaller than here so I did not get a job there um but my path sort of took me into I actually worked in politics for two years right out of school and it was just one of those things I had an opportunity to work on an election campaign for a couple of weeks and of course I jumped on it and then that led to a um, position as an executive assistant for a political leader in the government and interesting give you a sense Heather the other EAs in government were typically like 40 to 50 something typically male Um, and then here I was 22 I didn't have any clothes to wear to work to be appropriate <laughs> in a political environment. Yeah. And it was my first job and I was just absolutely like thrilled to do it. I just jumped in. I remember I had like, at one point I had three Blackberries on me because I had like my Oof. own, I had my bosses wow. and I had another one. Working in politics provincially was just such an exciting time. and. Um, it's a total burnout life because politics kind of, it's a 24 seven job and I absolutely oh, love sure. it. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. So that was kind of fun. And then, but then it was just always this pull to like this pressure I was putting on myself. Like I have to get back to that plan. Like I had it all laid out and this is what I want to do. And this, and I just knew I was going to do it. So, um, from politics, I worked a little bit at a, an ad agency here in Edmonton. And then what I did pretty quickly was start my own marketing firm. 
So um, I think I was literally taking my first maternity leave. I'm like, okay, great, I've got a runway here. I've got some time off from my job. Um, I'm gonna see if I can prove to myself that I could be a business owner. So that's when I started uh, a company called Catapult Marketing in 2001. In 2001, wow, that's a, that, that's a long time ago, although I, I it, it, you know, time, time flies. Tell us about, about Catapult and what you, what you liked about that. So you're on this plan, you decided at a really young age, you were going to sort of take control. So you formed this company and was it what you thought it was going to be? Um, it was way bigger than I thought it was going to be. Oh, interesting. So, interesting. So, you know, even though I had always had these big plans, I think I also didn't give myself enough credit thinking oh. and moving forward. I I never thought initially it was going to be a big company with employees. I thought, you know what, if I can, and I was also, I because I was taking my mat leave to do this, I, I really wanted to figure out how I could raise my kids and have meaningful work. Um, that you know and, and right. some type of balance right so I thought yeah. well if I could just work from home you know I wouldn't have any overhead and if I could use contractors instead of employees so you know I always need to have graphic designers and writers and project managers around me yeah. um I could figure a way you know I can employ other women that are in my shoes so other women that are you know might have kids and don't necessarily fit in that nine to five mold yeah yeah, we could probably do some pretty cool things, and that's sort of how I started Catapult. So, um, interesting, and and well before the pandemic, well before yeah. it was cool to work outside yeah. of the nine to five and accommodate childcare. So totally, yeah, it was really um, well timed because I feel like it, I at that point there wasn't very many people in my shoes. There was no like hustle culture or like that culture of like. Um, you know, going from contract to contract or working from home or working remotely, that just didn't exist. Right. It was very, it was very much you are in the corporate world or you or yeah. in the home world. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't overlap very much at all. Yeah, exactly. You're either like both feet in one world or both feet in the other. But I was like literally working in my basement. My baby would be napping and I'd be like, hey, I've got, you know, an hour and 14 minutes to like rush through this annual report and do some writing and follow up with some clients and it was probably a beautiful balance for about a week but then the more i was sort of putting into my company it was going really well um but then obviously your kids and my my babies have needs and i want to be a mom and so sort of even right off the top it, it was always a bit of a struggle and those kids get so smart even as young babies they know when you're in the house oh, yeah. I I could have a nanny. <laughs> I did have like a, a nanny come and help. Um, but as soon as the kids, my kids were mobile, like I would, they would literally like stick their fingers under the door of the office. This <laughs> is like, mommy, come pay attention to me. I can smell you. I know you're here. <laughs> so, so that, you know, I, I did as, as best I could over that period of time, but kind of quickly realized and quickly grew that I needed to get office space and overhead and that first contractor, I'm like, hey, it's time to make her an employee. You know, it started out, I think, with a very like real purpose quickly became, no, I've got to actually go back into that more, as you said, corporate world, but more traditional world of, of having an office. I want to, so I want to pick up on the theme of kind of what you alluded to, which was the, you know, this, this was a nice balance for about a week and then kind of <laughs> yeah. reality hit. Yeah. 
Um, and I want to fast forward a little bit. So, so, you know, your babies are a little bit older and kind of got some corporate space and catapult is by all, mm-hmm. by all attempts or by all means, very well known and, and yeah. successful, got some employees and things are kind of humming along. And then I think, you know, you've told me before that, that, you know, reality had something else in store for you. And what, can you tell us what happened to your best laid plan that you, um, that you had when you were 10 and kind of what, what, what happened to those plans? Because, and where, what I'm interested in is that many entrepreneurs, I think, have the reputation of, oh, I don't have a plan. Like I'm an entrepreneur because I don't plan. And, and then they kind of react and they kind of have to, you know, deal with life. But you had such a great plan, but. <laughs> but <laughs> that's a perfect, perfect segue, Heather. The, you know, the company grew. Um, I was doing, my goal was to do a million dollars a year in sales in revenue. And for an ad agency yeah. that was billing hourly, like that's a big goal. That is. Um, that is. And we worked really hard and, and we did it. And. I was so proud of my team and I was just like living life. You know, we were getting awards and we were getting large contracts. We were working with large clients. Like it was just sort of like from the outside, from all appearances, everything looked really great. Yeah. Um, But inside there was a lot going on. So I was just continuing to push myself and like give to everybody all the time, my clients, my children, my spouse, my employees, there really wasn't anything left in the tank for myself. And then um, at the time, my my husband had his own architecture practice. So he had his office sort of on one side of the office. Um, and then I had my, my team on the other and we were sort of working together. Um, but there was always these like niggling feelings like something wasn't going well for him, but I didn't know what it was. And then uh-huh. literally it was, April the 19th, 2017, my accountant had invited us in to do our, our like annual review. And my husband had said, you know, don't worry about going, Suze, I'll just pick up your paperwork. Like I'll grab your package. And I kind of remember telling him like, what do you mean? Like, of course I'm going, like, this is, you know, I'm, I'm on it. And like, I'm on all the things. Yeah. So sitting at, you know, with my accountant, who was also a client of Catapult and again, a friend of mine, um, he went over my husband's financials and he said, you know, this is the slide that shows his $100,000 line of credit. And I just remember literally all time stopping and my jaw hitting the floor and asking the accountant, like, I'm sorry, did you just, that's money he has access to. That's not money he spent. And the accountant comes back to me and says, no, like, that's money that he spent over the last year. Unbeknownst to me, unfortunately, he had been amassing, like, mass amounts of debt and I had no idea Wow. to the tune wow. of over yeah two hundred thousand dollars wow so meanwhile here I was trying to build security for us security for a right. family you know foundation buying a house renovating it like you know really just working so hard while my babies were so young and then all of a sudden it was just like in, a, in an instant it was like oh it was clarity it was all those feelings in my stomach that I hadn't really been listening to and I was just focusing on the business everything became very very clear yeah so, and such a and, and and in such a um horrible way compared to the the very thing that you were trying to plan yeah. and avoid was that stability and yeah. and that all just sort yeah. of blew up. how horrifying it was it was a life-changing moment and I 
to the point where I remember walking out of the accountant's office. I remember the weather that day. Like I could tell you how warm it was. The sky was this beautiful blue color and almost like everything started moving in slow motion. <laughs> it was just yeah. a really yeah. remarkable moment. And, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, it kind of really forced me to make some major changes and a major pivot in my life. And so that really started was the impetus for all of this change and really reevaluating everything. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. And so what I call it's kind of like a journey to my second life. <laughs> so, and this one, I had no idea. There is no roadmap. There was, there is no plan. This was not something that I had anticipated for sure. Um, but now, now that I'm coming out on the other side of it, I look back and I, I go, A, thank God, because I was not on a very healthy path. I was not on a very um, sustainable path. And B, like, wow, <laughs> maybe I can like live my life with greater purpose. And maybe I can do things and have, you know, more purpose in my life and intention to do some really, some really cool things that speak to my heart um, yeah. and help people. So I'm really grateful for it, but it was like, I'm not going to lie, like dumpster totally. fire, like, oh, totally, total, like melting down. It was just, well, I've got to sell the house. We have to, like, I knew I couldn't unfortunately stay in my marriage, which was a really tough realization. But, you know, for me, trust was everything. And there was really, for me, I couldn't come back from that. And so it was just like, how do I move forward taking care of my babies? my staff myself it was just really really challenging but really good yeah in in hindsight really good but some really tough days um certainly around that 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 station kind of went into my divorce burned out (laughs) because at that point you know it's been such a grind and such a build and then all of a sudden it really it was i was dealing with a lot of burnout so insomnia like incredibly bad insomnia and anxiety um and so i really had to refocus and figure out like how am i going to move forward so first thing i did was just like okay i need to get myself healthy (laughs) like get myself back on track both physically um but most mostly it was my mental health so yeah how do i do that (laughs) like how do i take off some of this pressure and um i honestly gave myself a blank check to, to work with my therapist, to like, to do what I needed to do to get my mental health and my sleeping back on track. And that um, meant I had to make a lot of changes to my business. One of the issues with Catapult is it becomes so big, it needed to be fed every month. Yeah. And I, you know, I yeah. really, I didn't have any business partners. There was no one that I could have like said, hey, I need to take a sabbatical. <laughs> I'll be back in a year, here are the keys to business. I didn't have that. I actually took a trip to New Zealand for three weeks. I literally went to the most remote part of New Zealand I could find. (laughs) And I had the ugliest cry in a rainforest (laughs) that you could possibly imagine. There was some Uh very loud sobbing, a lot of like just going, just a release and just going, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. I don't have a plan, it's okay. I'm a, you know, I have strength, I have skills, I will be fine. And also realizing, okay, so this company's become way too big. I need to make some major changes. So some people might say they downsized their business, but I like to say I right-sized Catapult. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. 
And so what does catapult look like today? So now that it's the right size, is it still, do you still have employees? What's, what does it look like? Because of course we know the end of the story is that mm-hmm. you've got another venture, which I want to get to, but what did you do? Like, what does catapult look like now that it's on the other side of that kind yeah. of conversation about right sizing? Yeah. For, for me at that point, it was, I just didn't want that crazy overhead that like I had to generate, yeah. you know, 50,000 a month to pay the staff, pay our building, like all of the things. So um, I slowly started downsizing. So some of my employees, I was very honest with them. Uh, and again, this was pre pandemic. It was just like, Hey, this isn't, you know, for me moving forward, it needs to be small. So I, I thought about you know, what do I really enjoy doing? And that was working with really great clients. And so I basically picked a couple of clients that I knew I wanted to continue working with and then just built, rebuilt the business around what that service model would look like. With, with, with those great clients. clients. With those great clients. So some of my graphic designers went from employees to contractors. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so they still work with me. You know, they might still work with me now, even with a couple of these clients. And I, um, so I unfortunately didn't had to let go, you know, give people, you know, I had to lay them off and give them yeah. good packages. And it was absolutely heartbreaking because these women were and are amazing and had worked very hard and we've done some great things together. Um, so those were some of the most difficult conversations literally I've ever had in my life. Oh, of course. Yeah. So I kind of slowly started peeling back the layers and pulling it back and pulling it back, you know, and then kind of seeing how it felt. And then like, no, this is still too big. I need to get rid of this one client. So it would do that and really getting back to basics. And so today, you know, I have like a very few number of clients that I still do the marketing and communication support for. Um, But it's also really given me time to reflect and pivot and like really start something new um as a bit of a side hustle that's now becoming you know bigger and more exciting um you know what what i like about i mean there's lots of things that are great about that story but i like the fact that you know despite the, the the personal turmoil you kept um you kept a vision about how do i treat my people my team and how do i if I'm going to downsize or right size, how do I do that in a compassionate way and making sure that you're taking care of your your people and and your team, and and obviously, so despite the, the turmoil and 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 in spite of the success of of Catapult, um, obviously there were some things that that you did really well, lots of things that you had done really well, and that you felt that you had done correctly because you're now on kind of your second entrepreneur. <laughs> Which is, which is with Timber Benefits. And can you give us a little bit, you, you alluded to it at the beginning about uh, sort of flexible benefits, but I'm interested in the motivation for Timber Benefits. You talked about how you had no, like you're an outsider, you don't sort of have yeah. experience, but you also spoke at the beginning about how in your family life, in your, in your childhood home, there was some mental health challenges and some some instability there and you talked about making sure that you took care of your mental health when or your personal life imploded and how were you going to deal with that was that the thread that led to the interest in kind of the timber benefit piece that's absolutely um 100 why i'm doing what i'm doing with timber today so 
I've always been so keenly interested in and aware of sort of that mental health piece. And, and it was yeah. interesting when I worked at Catapult, you know, not only was I kind of burning out and growing too fast and on that hamster wheel, but I noticed with my team as well, I had all employees were in their 20s or 30s. They were all healthy, active people, but the, you know, when it came to giving them employee benefits, I went to the market and I searched like, well, what can I give them? And it was literally just like, well, here's what employee benefits are. It's a drug plan. It's yep. life insurance. Um, you know, we'll cover maybe some eyeglasses if you're lucky. <laughs> Here you <Yeah>. go. <laughs> and I remember talking to my staff and and I knew, I said, you know, what do you guys really need? And what, what they needed and wanted, we want a membership to the spin club up the road. We want to yeah. take care of ourselves physically yeah. and we're active and we need really good mental health support. So when that, you know, package of benefits covered $300 a year for therapy, like that's a yeah. joke. <laughs> that's, that's true. That is in today's world where therapy is $200 an hour for 50 minutes. That's one and a half appointments for yeah. an entire year. Like that's just not going to cut it. Right. Right. And so I realized like as an owner, I'm like, this is kind of the best I could do. And I found myself even dipping into catapult money to like, here's, here's money to just pay for some therapy, like kind of even going outside of benefits and just like taking care of my staff because I felt like it was the right thing to do. With Timber, I, I did, I started, you know, my, my relationship after my marriage, I met somebody that I'd known for years through business and he was in this industry and he's oh. worked in it for 25 years and he was frustrated with the industry working inside of it he's like it's like we just look at this as you know sick benefits like well you get sick here you go and, and we're not doing anything to keep employees healthier right and health benefits they're sick you know, they're sick benefits and it just doesn't inherently make sense because like i mean not only do we just it's just a good thing to do to take care of people and you want your employees to be healthy, but it makes total financial sense of as course. a company. Um, so yeah. Deloitte did a big study recently. Um, it came out just before the pandemic and the cost of mental health alone in the workplace is $50 billion a year for the wow. Canadian economy. And again, that's, that's before the pandemic. Yeah. So that's like totally staggering. And I'm like, what if we just look at benefits in a different way. So how do we really proactively keep people healthy, you know, instead of, you know, when they get sick, here you go. It's like, how do we keep people healthy? We're going to benefit from better presenteeism and absenteeism. You're going to have less turnover. And it, it was kind of like employee benefits was completely missing the boat for the needs of like our younger workforce, in my opinion. You know what's what's interesting to me. So you know, your these the statistics that you're you're talking about, and sort of the even even when you kind of had the idea to start this was before the pandemic. And of course, now that we're kind of coming out the other side of the pandemic, we we realize uh, I think more globally. I think we realize more the effect of mental health, and certainly you know even in current events, like particularly with the current events at the 2020 or 2021, whatever we want to call them, Olympics, with some very no athletes put pressing pause to focus on their mental health and saying I don't want to cave to the 
to the pressure um, and, and having that mental health conversation be more socialized and more normalized, um, it's, it's interesting because that you, you of course had that insight before that and, and that focus on your team and, and on your employees. What do employers, what, what is an employer uh, reaction to, hey, we wanna focus on health benefits, not sick benefits. What do you notice from when, when you timber are having conversations with the employers who of course are the ones who are arranging for the benefits. We know the end users want to focus on health, but what's the reaction from the employers? It's a really good question. And I think, um, I think employers are so ingrained to think of benefits just being that core yeah. old school, old fashioned. Yeah. old fashioned. So I've, I've found that employers have been kind of like hitting their head against a wall and trying to yeah. come up with creative ways, other ways um, to improve mental health in the workplace. And there are also a lot of strategies you can do outside of your benefits program. Yeah. So, you know, health and wellness resources, um, you can train your staff to be focused on mental health and, you know, mental health first responders. You can even do um, mental health first aid kits in the workplace, which I think is really cool. Yeah, very cool. A lot of things that they were kind of like going to first, not realizing that, hey, we're already spending a lot of money on our benefits program. What if we look at those? What if we revisit them and make sure that they are supporting a healthy wellness focus and on that mental health piece? So for us at Timber, it was really important to come up with some new solutions for employers. So things like you know, when it comes to the mental health side, instead of, I mean, obviously having a healthy fund to be able to, to spend on your therapy every year or your counselors, what are some other tools we can give employees in the meantime to just provide additional support? So there are some really great online tools like online CBT um, workshops and digital tools that you work through on your own, you know, to support with anxiety and depression. Yep. And those types of uh, benefits that these employees can access to really bolster sort of their everyday health and well-being, um, yeah. you know, because you can't see your therapist every single day. Right. And, and to keep and to keep it at the forefront of everybody's mind. Right. So that it's not just something you do every second Thursday or whatever. Right. Like yeah. to, keep, to keep the the continuity and the, the, the shift in the in the thinking around it. Yeah. And I think once we started talking to employers like, hey, like they're actually a lot of things you could be doing with your existing benefit plan. You know, it's a big investment for the employer. Like, let's look at, you know, is there anything we can do to change it? So you're not spending more, but you're spending your dollars way more efficiently. Right. And, and on what people are asking for. Exactly. So that's that flexibility piece for employees. So for example, some employers, we might say, here's, you know, flexible spending accounts. So every employee gets $1,000 or $2,000 a year to put towards whatever they feel is most important to them. Yeah, interesting. And that and then, have a say in their own yeah, directing it. Totally. It's like instantly you're changing the whole dynamic. So instead of us trying to push these sick benefits down your throat, you don't even you know, relate to or need like, you know, yeah. orthotics or a CPAP machine or anything like that. It's no like, okay, I, my family really needs this right now. And yeah. now I've got an available pool of funds I can use thanks to my employer to be able to support my family effectively. Um, and it's just a different way of thinking. 
and um, it's very progressive. Well, I, I feel like it was progressive maybe 24 months ago, but as you're right, like now that we're <laughs> post pandemic, it's like, like we are, I almost feel like we are in massive catch up mode. Um, and I, and I also think the pandemic not only has created and pushed to the forefront, a lot of mental health issues. I really feel like right now we are moving into an unprecedented time in our workforce, like the workforce is really, really changing right now. Oh, for sure. And and how we do our work. So the workforce itself is changing, but how we do our work and how we access our work, all of that will be forever changed as a result of the pandemic. And therefore the supports and the things, the old fashioned things need to continue to progress and catch up so that it's responsive and, and, and appropriate for the workforce that we currently have. I've read statistics like 40% of workers are considering leaving their jobs right now. Wow. And what I feel like employers are going to learn very quickly is now workers can work from anywhere. And so, you know, talent in Canada is being um, approached by American companies, you know, and that we are not limited by geography anymore. So all of a sudden, if, you know, you're not willing to really care about your employees and take care of their mental health and be proactive and do some of these things there's going to be an employer out there that probably will oh for sure for sure and it's a it, you know it, it's sort of a as we think about going back to the to the workplace and the office and what that's going to look like longer term it is a really great opportunity for both employees but more importantly employers to 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 thoughtfully think about those things and think about how they want to engage and think about what kind of supports they want to have available because those kinds of things become become talent differentiators in your ability to attract and retain talent, um, which is just good, as you, as you say, it's good for business. And if you don't want to do that, well, the company down the road uh, or across the country where you can still work remotely, they're going to have a better chance of, of retaining and uh, or attracting and retaining the talent that they want. Yeah, yeah, we're really heading into a very interesting time of life. <laughs> and I, it's amazing how a few months ago, you know, we were worried about staff layoffs across the board and how quickly that has changed completely 180. You know, honestly, in a couple of weeks now, it's like we can't retain staff, we can't keep them. Yeah. And the yeah. cost of that for businesses is astronomical. So, absolutely. And the consequences for everybody are. Yeah. Or, you know, just the, the ripple effect of being unable to attract talent is, is very scary to think about. I'm really excited about where Timber is sort of sitting right now. And I just, I just see so much opportunity to speak to these needs and to help these employers look at their benefits from a different viewpoint, a different lens. So going back to your plan that... <laughs> Parts of your plan from age 10 worked. How do you hope that, what's the plan, um, you know, for for Timber moving forward? Is it to continue to be passive and to be responsive and continue to think creatively? Or do you think that that has, you know, like a life cycle as well? What's the plan? Oh, Heather, that's such a good question. (laughs) It's something that I really give a lot of thought to. And I, I think one of the issues or problems that entrepreneurs fall into is that growth demon, right? We all have. For sure, absolutely. So I had yep. a taste of like this super successful life of Catapult and 
you know, it was, it was honestly, it was profitable. It was exciting. You know, it drives your ego, (laughs) like all of those things, everything you want. Yeah. Everything you want. Um, and, but then I also have this realization that growth can be a cancer too. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Totally. So my, you know, in terms of like the plan now in the future is just like, I know Timber will be very successful and we have the opportunity to literally change lives. And that idea of sort of a values-based business really is my motivating factor now. Whereas before it was more just like growth and like following the plan and, and kind of doing the part, but this time it just feels much more purposeful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I do know that that growth demon still sneaks up over my shoulder and it's like, yeah. you know, this can be, um, this can be, this will be, will be big. Maybe we need to hire, maybe we need to grow. It's very much like a checks and balances thing. So I really try and like check myself and be like, and for me, the litmus test for that is how well am I sleeping right now? And, and being really mindful. So for example, if you did want to grow, being really mindful that that is, that fits into the plan, whatever the plan is at the time, uh, as opposed to like, oh, well, there's this growth, this cancer, as you, as you actually, you know, analogize and it's taking over, you still want to make sure to be the one driving the, the growth it to the extent that growth is, is appropriate. Yeah. And it's just definitely, you know, when you're, as you said, like approaching things with a little bit of a different lens and we have had the pandemic and it's just sort of like the confluence of a a lot of things are lining up. It kind of definitely feels very much like this is where I'm supposed to be right now. Uh, It's exciting and I love it. And, but I do this time around, I think I, as I said, I'm, I'm really looking at it from a values perspective and it's like, is this my influencing, am I making positive change? Am I helping people? You know, is it sort of ticking those boxes? Um, and if that's the case, then I'm going to keep going. Um, but I also, as I said, I really have to, this time around, really want to listen to my heart and make sure that I don't fall into some of the same traps that I did in my previous life. You know, as a planner myself, I, I like to stick to a plan. But what I like about what your, what your story tells is that even without a plan, you can still, you know, you can still be purposeful, you can still be mindful, you can still learn from things and you can incorporate that into maybe a shorter term plan or you don't have to have the next 25 years all planned out, but with some guiding principles around values that are important and, and the, you know, the benefit uh, <laughs> that you're providing to, to your staff and to your, um, your customers, you can really be guided to, to be mindful about, about where you're going. So I agree with you. I wouldn't want to have been in your shoes, of course, but it does sound like through that turmoil, there was a lot of lessons learned that have been helpful um, and can make you a little bit more purposeful in the approach for timber benefits. Yeah, for my like life 2.0 for your life 2.0 where can our listeners find out more about your life 2.0 and about timber specifically sure well certainly people can go to our website at timberbenefits.com um and that's probably the best place to sort of see what we're up to we've got a blog and we're sort of posting information all the time um but you know it's certainly like happy to speak with business owners one-on-one and if people are curious and they're just like, oh, I wonder what, a little bit more about what this could look like, you know, just having conversations is always a great place to start. 
Well, well, perfect. I really appreciate you taking time to tell us your your story. And I know that uh, it's maybe not a story that you tell often, but I really <laughs> you sharing it for because our entrepreneurs, I think, can learn a lot from, you know, from being now on the other side of it and knowing that even if you're facing some dark days, um, there can be some light at the end of the tunnel. So thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks so much, Heather, for having me and letting me sort of bear my soul and um, and share my journey. I really appreciate that for sure. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining the podcast today. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe or follow to get notified when we have an update.